Our heart and passion is this. We come with a plan and then we let God change it. So we actually have a plan in the service every single Sunday. We come with a plan that we're going to do. But if Holy Spirit's moving in a certain direction, our plan is to follow Holy Spirit. But at the same time, if we're sensing, okay, we'll stick to the structure, but never do we say, oh, uh, worship, uh, 22.5 minutes, and that's it. Offering this long, that... We just don't want to go there. I've grown up in in some some religious perspectives a lot as five generations of ministry in my life. And I'm not saying it's all bad, but when when our religious perspectives or our own theologies, I'm afraid it's not theologies, our own denominationalism that we carry internally gets in the way of the move of God, then we have a problem. We need to make sure we live a lifestyle, not just flamboyant in the sense, or not flamboyant, flamboyant's good, um, just, oh, well, you know, God's going to tell me if I need to order a Big Mac now, or God's going to tell me when I need, you know, sometimes you got to have a plan. We should always have a plan and let God mold it, amen? So I've been talking about the lifestyle of a worshiper. It's not music, it's not singing style, It's a lifestyle of a worshiper. We know King David had this lifestyle, and look where he went. Before he was king, he had the lifestyle of a worshiper. Uh, Two Sundays ago, I talked about victory. There were seven principles, and I'm on my third this week, so it's turned into a mini-series, I guess, or a long series. Um, Lifestyle of a worshiper. What we did today here is we actually praised. We sang praise to God. But worship isn't slow songs or fast songs. Worship is about a lifestyle. The lifestyle of a worshiper, somebody who, who is passionate about who it is they're following, who it is that's their Lord. Uh, um, you could say, I have a, a, worship, a lifestyle of a worshiping marriage. You say, well, what do you mean? You, you worship marriage? Yeah, actually, I, I do because it's part of my worship to God. Because... Everything he talks about in Scripture refers back to, many things he talks about in Scripture refers back to a bride and a groom, marriage, okay? And uh, so our lifestyle of worship with God is something totally different than just singing. That's, I call that praise. You can call it, we call it worship and praise, but I, I want to go beyond and make sure we understand that a lifestyle of worship is very different. With a lifestyle of worship, we talked about victory, where Jehoshaphat sent in the Levite praisers before the army went in. And the military had come against him, which was going to destroy them because it was so much bigger. The enemy was so much bigger. And that when they started to praise, so Jehoshaphat's army's here, worshipers go in, the praisers go in, the other army is like freaking out, they start killing each other, they end up killing every single person without Jehoshaphat's army touching one. Because praise messes up the enemy. Everything the devil wants is to see you not praise. He wants to see you doom, gloom, depression, frustration, anxiety. He wants to see you live in that, but God doesn't. God wants to see you live in praise. The second thing, last week we talked about victory will bring through breakthrough in our lives, where Joshua uh, went into the promised land and surrounded the walls of Jericho. And what happened? They went around the wall seven times. uh, And at the seventh day, I'm sorry, seven days, at the seventh day, they shouted out. When you look at that word shout, it has praise. uh, It has victory. It has all these words wrapped in. So they literally shouted in victory. They literally shouted in praise. And what happened? The wall just collapsed. And so when we have the the lifestyle of a worshiper, first 
we start walking in victory into our promise inheritances. Second, we start walking in breakthrough. So many people are looking through for breakthrough to get the victory. It's the wrong way around. In the kingdom, you have to live in victory to get your breakthrough. People are like, well, I'm having a bad day. I need a breakthrough. Pray for a breakthrough. No, I'm praying for your victory because if you're in your victory, you're really not having a bad day. It's a good day to be alive because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so that victory brings you into breakthrough in your life. Today, I'm going to talk about freedom. The lifestyle of a worshiper will lead you to freedom in your life. Let's turn to Acts chapter 16. And actually, you know what? I'm going to start in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. I want to explain a little bit about Paul and Silas. So this is where Paul and Silas divide from Barnabas, or Paul divides from Barnabas over Mark, okay, over John Mark. Verse 13, I want to give some, some understanding to where I'm going to go with this and try to wrap it up here. Verse 36, then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, now Barnabas had actually announced Paul. So Paul used to be Saul, if you don't know, and Saul was really out to kill all the Christians. He was out to kill the Jews. He was out to kill those followers of Jesus. And so his whole aspect was to kill, and then he had an encounter, and his name gets changed by God to Paul, and, and Barnabas actually introduces him and brings him in. So, so you have a re- good relationship between Paul and, Bar- and, and Saul, or, sorry, Paul and Barnabas, okay? So after some days, verse 36, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are, how they are doing. So Paul said to Barnabas, in a nutshell, I could preach a whole message just on this relationship. I I believe Barnabas had a gifting like a pastor. Paul started to walk in the gifting of an apostle. And I say that for a reason. The fivefold ministry we believe is fully functioning today. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. And it's so easy now, once you understand that gift mix, to actually see the gift mix in people when you talk with them. And pastors just always want to forgive, always want to help the sheep. They're just there to help. It's a pastoral gift. But many times what our seminaries, including the four years of Baptist seminary I went to, you graduate as a pastor, even though I didn't have a church, but, uh, you know, and, and, and never a pastor before. And many pastors are apostles or prophets or evangelists or teachers. The gifts are are many all in a group. But what I want to encourage us in is that in this situation, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas opened up the doors for Paul. Paul is now advanced. And as most scholars would say, taken the lead of this team from Paul, uh, from, from Barnabas. And so whether Barnabas was getting frustrated with it or not, but this John Paul Mark, let's take a look, 37. Sorry, John Mark, verse 37. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. So Barnabas wanted to take John, Mark, with him. But Paul insisted, verse 38, that they should not take with them the one who had departed, which actually means leave them, and some Words you could, uh, you could take out of that core word actually fell away from the faith. But either way, uh, 
Mark, I'll call him, departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. So here's the apostle apostolic saying, hold it. I I don't want him to come, number one, because he's not fully connected and unified with the work that we did. But Barnabas, who's very pastoral heart, is like, yeah, but I want to take him. I want to take him. We're going to raise this guy up. And so there's two things that are happening here. It ends up happening that the third, in verse 39, then the contention became so sharp, in other words, it became a little bit loud, that they parted from one another. Now, God never intended us to be parted. I don't believe he intended Paul and Barnabas to be parted. But Paul was advancing now, and Barnabas, after this, you hear next to nothing from him. Not that he wasn't a good man, absolutely. But I believe they were supposed to come together. But there was a transition in the leadership. And it wasn't clear yet as to how that was being established. Verse 40, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So Paul picked Silas, off they go. Barnabas and Mark go elsewhere. Chapter 16, and then he came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was with was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish man, woman who believed. But his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra, Lystra and Iconium. Verse 3, Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the, Jew, because the Jews who were in the region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Verse 4, and as they went through the cities, they delivered them. Uh, delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So now Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they are moving through the land. They are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, they, they are not slowing down from the separation. They're advancing and God's giving them favor and blessing as they advance. Verse 6, the Macedonia call. And now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Boy, this is important. One of the reasons Paul did not want Mark to go was he wasn't at the ability of commitment and covenant that Paul felt he needed when he went into the mission field. So many people don't understand this principle and they hear a call or a voice they believe is to be from God and could very well be, but they go even though 90% of their key people are saying it's not time yet. But I'm going to go because I'm going to go. It's not a good place to learn that you didn't hear correctly. It's so important that, that we have an understanding of family, of leadership, of team. When my kids have a question or a concern, they can still come to mom and dad and ask. And I can give them an idea and understanding that they can make a decision on. But I've lived on this earth longer than they have. I've gone through many things. I've counseled many people. It's not that I'm always right. I'm not saying that. I'm just majority times right. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Totally kidding. Verse 7, after they had come to to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Again, the Spirit, and that that word Spirit is very close to the, the Spirit of the Lord. And so, two times they went into a city, but the Holy Spirit said no. How many times do we need to hear the voice of God? Now, if it's your fear speaking of evangelism, let's say, 
Oh, I'm fearful, so God must not be in it. No, 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 no. God has no fear. He's not fearful of you. He's not fearful of the enemy. He's won the enemy. The enemy's done. It's finished. The, the victory is already Jesus. But there are some times that we need to have the wisdom of the Lord. Maybe it's a family reunion, and you're the only saved person. Oh, boy, this is the family reunion. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to get my biggest Bible possible. And when they're all sitting at the table, I'm going to come up and I'm going to smack them on the back of the head. You devil people, you devils, get out, get out. How many of you know you're probably not hearing the voice of God at that moment in time? And then some people feel that they've only heard the voice of God and nobody else around them. And they get so offended when nobody else gathers and joins with them. And that's the other flip side of the coin. Then what they're saying is they're the only ones that hear the voice of God. No apostles, no prophets, no pastors, no evangelists, no teachers, no family, no friends, Christians, and born again. Oh, we got two flip sides. We've got crazy that just doesn't work, hitting them over the head with a big Bible. And then we've got the other side where we don't care what any one of my leadership or my family says. I'm still going to give it. There's a balance in here. Verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Remember, the Spirit of the Lord, Holy Spirit, did not allow them to preach the gospel in those two cities. Now, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Little did they know what was waiting for them in Macedonia. Hey, I had a vision. A man called me to come. Come to Macedonia. Let's go. Verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, so now they're on their way. Sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. Verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went out, to the, out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. Sad that most of the women were there for prayer and not the men, but they was mostly women. And so here they are talking to these ladies down in prayer about what Jesus was, was doing, what Jesus did for them, what, what, their, what their mission is. Verse 14, now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us. So here they are, speak the word of God. She opens her heart, God opens her heart, boom, her family gets baptized. Uh, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. Now, let's go to verse 16, and this is my context. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. So they're staying with this family of Lydia, and now they're going back and forth to pray. This slave girl... This slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit for, for fortune-telling. The spirit of divination. 
What this girl was carrying, that word divination is python. Python. And so she was carrying the spirit of Python, which has a whole perspective where, where Delphi was seated, which was an oracle, and in Greek mythology, this python serpent-looking thing would protect this oracle, which was not of God. It was from the Greek gods. And so this girl carried this, this spirit with her, and she brought her masters much profit. And so her masters were making good money because from the town that she's from, if they came out with this gift, they were good. You see, because the five-fold ministry is carried not just by Christians, it is literally imparted by God into every person on this earth. So you were born with your gifts. Jeremiah 1.5, while you're being formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and I sanctified you. That's why we can have worldly people have a vision or a dream at night and create a brand new heart valve or some new thing and whatnot. They're getting visions because it's open. And so the enemy can also work within those, and he does. The devil's army works within him. If you've ever heard of mind reading, tarot cards, Ouija boards, uh, all the, the oracles, the different names they have for it, if they're truly gifted, they're a prophet or prophetess. They're very prophetic. I've bumped into them. They've read my mail. I've read their mail. One on the dark side, one on the light side. <laughs> one of them, which some of you know the story, happened down in Lakeland, Florida. The only car in the whole parking lot, I was at a pastor's meeting at the Olive Garden, about 60 pastors, and, and the only car, which was my rental car, in the parking lot had a business card on it. And it was the name of a mind reader, tarot card guy. I kept the card. Everybody said, throw the card away. I kept it on my hotel bedside table. After three days of praying over that thing, I phoned the number, but I used the hotel phone so he wouldn't get my cell number. It's a private cell number. I phoned and he answered. I've been, how come I've been waiting three days for your phone call? That was his first question, his first response. I didn't say a word yet. How come I've been waiting three days for your phone call? I said, because I need to tell you something. And I ended up for about 10 minutes reading his mail. He had been molested at 12, 13, 14 years old by an uncle and all this stuff. And I could see visions of it, read his mail. He's bawling and sobbing his eyes out. To make a long story short, he didn't give his life to Jesus that day. But last year, seven years or eight years later, last year, I just landed, I was on my way to Russia, and I just landed in Germany, and I just turned on my phone, and as I turned on my phone, it rang with an unlisted number. I usually don't answer them, but I felt I needed to, I answered. And he said, do you remember who I am? I said, yeah, actually I do. I remember you from Lakeland. And he broke into tears. He had given his life to Jesus. He was back involved in the local church. How he got my number? <laughs> so I phoned my office and said, hey, did you, someone phone about a phone? They said, we'll never give your cell number out when people ask for it. So this, this girl was really good by fortune telling. That word fortune 
is not in the original text, but telling is. That word telling is prophet. She's really good as a prophet on the absolutely wrong side because everything she did was a slavery, out of slavery for money and profit of, of, the, of the masters. You see, prophets on the good side are not doing it for money. If you are, then you're really flip-flopping to a bad position. If we do this for money, then we've got a problem. At the same time, there's scripture that talks about leadership being double honored. And I pray that every leader who has gone to the missions and ministries has the favor and blessing, not just of God, but of finances on their lives. So they're not sitting there struggling, trying to make ends meet. Verse 17, this girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, these men are the servant of the most high God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. The devil knows. The devil knows exactly who you are and who you're not. And if you're on fire for God, if you're living a lifestyle of a worshiper, then he is scared of you. If you're not living in that lifestyle, then you can be scared of him. But then you bring fear. And when you live in that kind of fear, it's like, it's like rotten meat and flies. You become like a, a stagnant meat and flies of the devil come to you. But I keep getting attacked. Live in the heart style of a worshiper. And if the enemy arrows start flying, there's an armor that is around us. And it's like they hit this armor, bing, 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 but they don't hit you. Verse 18, and she did this for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed. I get annoyed sometimes at people. And then they say, well, that's not very pastoral. Good. You need to go to a pastor then. Well, that's what you are. Whatever. You go to a prophet for an answer, you get a prophet's answer. You go to an apostle for an answer, you get an apostolic answer. And everybody says, oh, well, apostles are just, they're just floaty grace. Oh, oh, you have a problem? Let me help you. Oh, you don't know how to cut your hair? Let me help you. Oh, you don't have to go to the bathroom? Let me help you. What? That's pastoral. But Paul, do we believe that Paul's an apostle? Well, there's controversy about that too. He's an apostle, Paul. Greatly annoyed. Turned and said to the spirit. His annoyance spoke straight to the spirit. Not to the girl. To the spirit. But you know, if we did that nowadays, you know how many people would get offended? If we said this to, to someone who who just wasn't right and, and, and wrong in certain things. And, and obviously Paul knew exactly who she was. She'd been following these guys for three days, crying out the truth, crying out. These are servants of the most high God who proclaim the way of salvation. She's actually speaking truth because when you're in this, this lifestyle like Paul and Silas are living, the devil can't speak lies to you. He's got to speak truth too. He can try but you don't hear the lies because you're full of truth. Your mind's renewed. And she did this for many days. Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he came out of her that very moment, that very hour. This is just so typical. Look at verse 19. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, 
<laughs> they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, oh, great. Now they brought them to the leaders. And they said, these men being Jews exceedingly troubled our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes. They tore the clothes off Paul and Silas, and they start beating them with rods. They're lashing them. They're beating them. Why? Because they cast a demon out. But you see, the people got so worked up because it cost them money. Money is, leads to the root of evil. I mean, it can. It's not money is bad, but the worship of money is very bad. Verse 23. And when they had laid many stripes on them, that's not tattoos. Well, it's a tattoo in a very violent way. Scars by rods. They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. And having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet into the stocks. So now the commander of the jail, with such a charge of the magistrates, this is like, whoa, these are the bad of the bad people. He knows that if these guys get loose from his jail, he's going to be killed. Verse 25. But at midnight... Oh, at midnight, it's dark. But at midnight, what happens at 12.01? A new day starts, and the joy of the Lord is a strength. In the new day, in every new day. And at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They're thinking, are you guys nuts? We have no desire to be praising anything right now. We are captive. We are in bondage. We are depressed. Uh, we have all these anxieties. Uh, we have all the issues. Uh, we're coming to a demise. Uh, the, the country is being ruined. Uh, I'm so depressed. Uh, and here's these two guys who did nothing wrong. They actually did everything right, uh, but they're in here beaten and whipped and lashed, some of them harder than us as prisoners, and they're in the center courts, the most violent of criminals, that's their jail cell. And here they are praising and singing to God. I think we can learn something from this. Verse 26. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. Imagine, here you are in chains, in bondage. Your back is killing you. Infection is gonna set in guaranteed if nothing's done. You're bleeding, you're backed, you're bruised, you're battered, you're beaten. You're in the most, uh, you have the most right to be in the most depressed state of your life. But you see, when you're on fire for truth, depression is not the focus. The joy of the Lord has to be our focus. Otherwise, you get sick, you're going to get depressed. You get ill, you're going to get depressed. Uh, you get a, a, an infirmity, a cancer, you're going to get depressed. I'm not saying you should be joyful you have cancer or sickness. I'm not saying that at all. Your son, your daughter not following, you're depressed. You don't have enough money to pay, you're depressed. Everything is leading you to depression. I heard an article that by 2025, the number one sickness in North America 
will be extreme depression on the road that's going right now. Well, you know what? That's a sickness from the devil, but not from God. And you say, but I'm depressed. I'm on antidepressants. You know what? I believe in the miraculous of God that he can get you off of those. And you'll save a lot of money. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake. Why? Because they were worshiping and praising God. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. They fell off. Not just Paul and Silas. Everybody. Why? They're listening. Because what Paul and Silas did was not for themselves. It was for the glory of God. And in the, hey, buddy, and in the glory of God, that's for everybody around us. They changed their environment by being happy while in prison. <laughs> Verse 27, and the keeper of the prison awakened from sleep. And seeing that he probably fell asleep with the, the songs of praise. But now he's awakened because the ground shook a mighty earthquake. He might have heard the chains rattling off the arms and the doors rattling themselves open. And the keeper of the prison awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he knew that if those prisoners all escaped, they'd kill him anyways. Verse 28, but Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And then he called for a light, and he ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Why? Because he just stepped into the presence of God. Because someone in the prison cell of life started praising God. Someone in their dark hour Someone in their difficult times did not focus on the difficulty, but they focused on praising God. Maybe Paul's mind went back and said, well, maybe I should have stayed with Barnabas, but I don't think so. His mind was set on proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever he was. It didn't matter. And right now, he had a captive audience that was being set free, both physically and spiritually. Verse 30, and the jailer brought these guys out, Paul and Silas, and said, sirs, lords, I humble myself before you. That's what sirs is. What must I do to be saved? And so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. Now the jailer is washing the backs, the bruises of Paul and Silas. Could I have a little piano or keyboard or whoever's doing this? I don't know. Or, yeah, or, He took them at the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. 
Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his house. And we could wind up and conclude it right there. But I want to read the next couple verses for a reason, because we're back to who Paul was. Look at this. And when it was day, the magistrates, remember the ones that accused them falsely? The ones that sent them to jail falsely? And when it was day, because this is so apostolic. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the officers saying, let those men go. Why? Because they heard the power of God. They heard the power of testimony. Maybe now they actually pursued and found out what actually had happened before they condemned Paul and Silas to prison. And so the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. In other words, they have sent me, the leader of the prison, to let you go. Now therefore, depart and go in peace. What's interesting is they were no longer held captive and they were no longer in prison. The magistrates should have gone after them and brought them back into prison, but the magistrates realized something greater than them had happened. And when these guys were praising the living God. But I love this, verse 37. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly. Uncondemned Romans. Uh Uh-oh, they didn't even think to ask them if they were Romans. And have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? They made a public spectacle of us, accused us publicly, and now they're doing it in secret. They're saying sort of, I'm sorry, in secret. No, indeed, that is not going to happen, says Paul. Let them come themselves and get us out. You know what I think of when I hear this? With the internet and multimedia, no, what is it called? Social media. Everybody's a prophet, everybody's a pastor, everybody's an apostle. And some of these prophets, these apostles, these people that are self-appointed, they speak out a word and then it doesn't happen. And they sort of just ignore it and go on to another word and then it doesn't happen. You know what? You speak a word out publicly that is false and doesn't come to pass and you give dates, then you better get back publicly and speak the asking of forgiveness for speaking a bad word. Oh no, they just want to be magistrates. Watch your tongue, little people. What's that song? Oh, oh, be careful what you say. Da, da, da. Especially when we said, well, God said. I always use the example. I had a husband and wife come to me and for a meeting and wanted counsel. I got into my office and this happened many times. Not from the same people, but... And they said, hey, we just wanted to let you know we love Windward, and, but God's told us to actually move. Wow, really? Yeah, but we just want to hear your, your opinion on it and perspective. Like, well, move. Well, no, we want to hear your opinion. I, I don't know if we really want to move, but no, move. Well, what do you mean? You don't want us? Move. Well, hold it, Brian. I, 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 want, I want to hear your opinion. Like, what do you think? No, you said God said. I'm telling you, do what God said. If God said, move, move. You'll find out if it was God. 
Now, if you're coming and saying, I heard what I think was the voice of the Lord, and I'd like your perspective on it, now we can pray. Because if we say God said too much and God didn't say it, it's pretty close to blasphemy. Maybe blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the things that can take us out of the book of life. It's a big thing. We, we got to be careful not to just say God said too much. I, I would really rather preface it. I think I hear the Lord saying, Oh, you indecisive? Uh, well, you should be, because let's bring it to wise counsel and pray about it. We're going to hear the voice of the Lord together. Well, no, I'm the only one that can hear. Okay, then go. Try it. Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison, and now they put us out secretly. No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officer told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. And so they went out, where did Paul and Silas and Timothy go? They went out of the prison and entered the house, remember Lydia? They entered the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them, and they departed. You see, Paul and Silas, they used prison. They used injustice to themselves. They used what the enemy threw at them. They in turn turned it around and praised God. And they used the glory of God to win the prisoners, to win the jail people, to actually speak into the hearts of the magistrates. Let's all stand. The lifestyle of a worshiper. Victory leads to breakthrough. Breakthrough leads to freedom. And what I want to say today is turn your prisons into the opportunity by living a lifestyle of worship and praise. Turn what you think is a disaster into a praise lifestyle of worship in your own life, in your own heart. It doesn't mean that you accept the wrongdoings. I'm not saying celebrate the people that did wrong to you, not at all. And maybe you can't change what had happened. Maybe it's been a divorce. Maybe been sexual impurity. Maybe you've lost a business. Maybe someone robbed you and stole you. Maybe you were abused as a child, uh, sexually, physically, maybe as an adult. Whatever that was, whatever that prison that's been holding you, whatever jail has happened in your life, uh, what I'm saying is you no longer need to live in the jail. You no longer need to live in captivity to have your hands bound and your feet tied in shackles in a prison. You no longer have to live that way because there's someone who died on the cross and his name was Jesus Christ and he rose from the dead and he rose for a purpose to set you and I free. And then he sent the promises of his Father and the Holy Spirit came upon us. Not so you would live in your jail and prison, but so you would break the walls down of your promises and walk into the freedom 
of your call as a born again believer in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're watching on TV right now. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus or or you don't know what that really means. I want to tell you, it's actually not hard. It'll be the biggest decision of your life, but it's not a difficult thing to do. John 3.16 is so clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, that means that all you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ as the living God, the son of God. That he has promised and given us salvation if we just say yes to him. Romans talks about confess with your mouth. Maybe you were a Christian and you fell away and you you feel like you haven't been living that life that you know that you need to be. Well, live it again. It's just a choice. It's, It's a decision that you can make right now in this moment. You can just make the decision and say, you know what? I haven't been right with God. I know it in my heart, but I want to get right with him again. I want to go after him. I want that. I want to be a lifestyle of a worshiper. Maybe that's you today. Well, I want to give you opportunity. I want to give you opportunity to come back in to a relationship as a bride and a groom with Jesus. To come back into that relationship again. All that sin of the past can be done, finished, and dealt with right now, today, here, in this moment. And you can step into a new level of forgiveness through repentance and be restored back. I want you all to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. But I want to give opportunity today. If maybe that was you, maybe, maybe something here has triggered you. Maybe, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Uh, may, maybe you've never believed on him in that way. And then you don't even know how to, but, but you know that the, the something's tugging your heart too. Maybe you did and you fell away, but you're coming back. Maybe you've just been lukewarm, but you want to get back on fire with God. I'm talking to you then right now. Uh, the Lord says, Brent, you're not talking. I'm talking. Now I want to ask you then, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if that's you today, just put your hand up quickly right now so I can see. I see that hand. Is there any? I see that hand. Is there anybody? I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else? I want to give you opportunity. I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody watching right now? I see that hand. This is you. If you're watching, put your hand up. Because we're going to pray together right now. And I'd like us to all pray audibly. There's no sinner's prayer in scripture. It says confess with your mouth in Romans 8.20. So that's what we're doing. But let's all pray this together. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I accept you into my heart today. Into my life. I choose to believe in you. And that gives me salvation. Thank you for forgiving me forgiving all my sins. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You're saved. That's it. That's it. You're restored. You're back into that relationship with God. You're back. Maybe you raised your hands for the first time. Maybe it's the second time. Maybe it's the third time for salvation. I want you to come up. We're going to call up the prayer team and uh, right now. And I'm just going to have a prayer team up here. And if that was you, I encourage you, come up. 
and talk with the people that are up front. Let's pray together. Let's talk about it. Maybe you have a sickness or an illness. Well, guess what? Jesus stripes on his back were so you and I could walk in our miracle of healing. And oh boy, I believe in the miraculous. I have seen it over and over and over again. And we've seen it in this house over and over and over again. And we're going to continue seeing it because God is alive and real today. So I thank you, Father, for this is the day that you have made. And in this day, we rejoice because you made it. We rejoice and are happy in this day because you made this day so we could live in the joy of the Lord in our lives. And so we are choosing. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is a choice. A choice that will lead to an emotional encounter. But you choose joy. Otherwise, if joy is just an emotional state for you, then you're going to try to buy emotion. You're going to try to buy something or find it somewhere. What's going to make you feel good? Well, let me tell you what. I know what will make you feel good. I guarantee you it's not the sins of this world. I guarantee you it's the truth of Jesus Christ. And I choose joy in the Lord every morning. That's how I start my day. And that's how we need to live our life. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So we thank you, Father. For you are in heaven, and hallowed is your name, and your kingdom come, and your will be done in us on this earth as it is in heaven. For you give us our daily bread, and you lead us not into temptation, but you deliver us from evil. For your kingdom, God, your kingdom is the power and the glory forever and ever, and let it be so.